0: Welcome back to another episode of The Top Step. My name is Ryan Roland-Smith. Now, in this episode, I'm joined by six-time ultimate fighting champion and MMA legend, Mr. Randy Couture. Now, I started this podcast and called it The Top Step because some of my favorite memories in the big leagues were standing on the top step of the dugout with teammates hearing their story and being inspired by their journey. Now, before all the world titles are the toughest sport on the planet, Randy was a college dropout with a kid on the way. Collegiate wrestling was an afterthought, MMA didn't even exist at this point, and the only option for him to support his family was to join the army because they were offering five grand to anyone who would enlist. Now fast forward to the most successful career in the UFC, as well as starring alongside Hollywood action royalty in The Expendables. I couldn't wait to dive into the mind of a world class MMA fighter who has overcome so much. What's it like to stand 10 feet away and go head to head with some of the scariest dudes in the world? as well as find out what happens the minutes after a 280-pound Brock Lesnar gives you multiple hammer fists to the face. Now, if you're enjoying these episodes, these journeys from the best athletes in the world, be sure to press the subscribe button wherever you're listening to this podcast. Or go to www.thetopstep.com so you don't miss future episodes. Or if you haven't already, you can go check out this episode on YouTube. There's a link below in the notes. So sit back, relax, I hope you enjoy this episode as Randy Couture joins me on the top step. No matter what happens, Ryan Roland smith has something to tell his grandkids right here. First appearance of the big leagues, face <laughs> Hall, Hall, Hall of Famer, Famer. <laughs> especially if he strikes them out.
1: Here comes the 1-2 pitcher junior now, the breaking ball, he struck him out, yeah, that will be... A story for the rest of his life as he strikes out Ken Griffey Jr. And the inning is over, but what an inning it was as six.
0: How are we doing, buddy? First, I gotta ask you, I know you're in Vegas at the moment. Now you were born in the Northwest, born in Seattle. Right? Yep. Spent plenty of time there were you ever and you can be honest, were you ever a Mariners fan?
1: Uh, yeah, I liked the Mariners. I mean they were the only team we ever had. so right. you know, we'd have a football team forever too. so uh, I liked uh, the Broncos till Seattle got their own team with the Seahawks. so you know I, I liked baseball as a kid. My mom always said that was the sport I should have played and I ended up on a wrestling mat go figure
0: right and that was in high school right and that's the the one thing I wanted to ask you about that as well. When you're in high school, you know, you dealt with, I think you got beat up or something like that. And you're in a situation where your mom, and, and correct me if I'm wrong here, your mom said no to a boxing gym.
1: Yeah, that's true. <laughs> it was seventh grade. I, we were getting picked on like most kids. Yeah. The new kids rolling into junior high school. My buddy Bobby Stevenson and, and a couple of us were getting picked on. Um, you know, I had started wrestling that year. That was my first year of wrestling right uh with, with coach K. Spear at, at alderwood junior high school and Man. um this kid Romberg kept picking on us he dumped bobby in the trash can he'd to cram us in lockers you know just stupid stuff that that kids do and the
0: typical stuff yeah
1: Kind of got tired of it and he uh he approached me at at lunchtime trying to pick on me and and i double-legged him and put him on, a, <laughs> on the asphalt and, I like and it. Smacked, him, smacked him a few times and lo and behold i never got another fight after that it, it seemed to work nobody bothered me so
0: right I don't know. have you i mean you know has this guy ever approached uh in the last you know 20 years and said hey man i, I used to kick your ass and <laughs> then finally you took me down
1: <laughs> no no i i've never seen a guy uh, again um it's funny uh you know, one of the guys I used to, we, we, me and my friend, Mark Baggerly, we, we grew after high school. Right. You know, I was I was 168 pounds. He was 158 pounds our senior year right. in high school. And Mark was one of those guys that got picked on, too. Both of us were late bloomers. We grew later. Uh, Mark shot up after our senior year to six foot two. I mean, he's a huge wow. guy. And right. he ran into the Romberg In a jack in the box one that summer after we graduated, after he had grown, and and it it wasn't very pretty. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Romberg was one of those guys that had a beard back then in junior high. No, he he didn't change, he didn't grow anymore. He he was the same guy, and and here Mark had really, really grown. And so, it's amazing, isn't it?
0: That yeah. That happens all the time. The kids with the beards, you know, in junior high, all of a sudden <laughs> everyone grows up and then they're going to start watching their back. So you said, so you weren't getting in fights. This wasn't a background where you're just getting in fights as a kid. No,
1: no, never. I was in two that fight and, and maybe two others, uh, you know, through all through school. One of those was at another high school at a summer dance. The other one was a kid that had, you know, I had, had some time in my seventh grade year, I broke my shoulder riding motorcycles. And so I was in a sling with a screw sticking out. And and that was the opportunity this kid took to kind of start harassing me on the bus and harassing me in class. And, you know, I kind of exploded on him in the middle of English class uh, where he, you know, continued harassing me. And even with one arm and a sling, I I cracked him a couple times. I, I kind of got suspended for three days, but uh, it was, you know, again, never had any trouble with him again either. So,
0: yeah, I, was I never you, you never, yeah, because I mean, I remember when I was a kid in high school, you know, you get bullied like you did back then. I, I guess it's different now. They do it all online now, but, you know, back then I'd get bullied. Or I'd get, you know, the threats and everything else, but I was, I was always too just scared shitless to be, you know, around. <laughs> so I'm always. Wondering when you see, you know, guys like you, like, oh, man, they must have kicked some ass back in the day. But I guess not. I guess it's different. It's a separator. So
1: You bring up an interesting point, and I think that's the difference between when we grew up and what's going on now and the bullying that's going on now. Once I went home and got off the bus and went to my house or whatever, I'm with my friends, I'm with my family, the bullying stopped, and I didn't have to think about it or deal with it until the next day at school. Now there's no escape from it, 24-7, so Media platforms, kids are hammering, and and everybody's seeing it. It's not like one or two friends are there and see it. Everybody that's yeah. your friend, school follows you and is on that platform and sees I know. what's going
0: on. Ah, oh, dude. I mean, that's the pr- It's it's crazy. I mean, the pressure to try and keep up with what's going on and and, and the posting the right things. Do you have that at your gym, at Extreme Couture? Do you have? You know, kids rolling in at whatever age who have been bullied and they're, they're all of a sudden like, hey, I want to learn how to defend myself.
1: We do. We absolutely do. And, and we uh, we spend some special, you know, some extra time. We, we've taught some women's self-defense courses. Our kids programs are the fastest growing part of our gym. I have some great fighters and instructors that teach and and not only teach the technique and the tactics, but the responsibility that comes with yeah. those techniques and tactics.
0: What are the best techniques? I know we're, I'm sort of going down a different different road to what I want to jump off with this with this interview, but what are the tactics? On the street, obviously, it's different to inside an octagon. What's the best form you would teach someone, like a woman self-defense? What would be the yeah, best way to teach, like, or the best style?
1: Yeah, well, I don't think there is one style uh, that encompasses everything you need to know. As a female, the first and foremost, be aware. Be aware yeah. of your exits. Have your keys ready when you walk to your car. Know, right. you know, know exactly where you're going. Show some confidence. Walk with, with a demeanor that says you're nobody to be messed with. Right. Uh, people tend to prey on the weak. They tend yeah. to prey on the meek and the mild. And unfortunately, that's the truth, and that's how it works. So just in your demeanor and how you respond and being prepared so that yeah. you're not hung up looking for your keys in your purse or yeah. you don't have that mace or or if you're smart enough and wise enough to go out and get you know get a get a gun learn to shoot it yeah get your concealed carry permit those are all things that i think are important right. as women because nine times out of ten and in any kind of physical altercation you're going to be overpowered yeah most men are just physically bigger and stronger than than females so the reality of that i mean that's just the How it is, unfortunately. Yeah. Yeah. So then, you know, if it gets past being prepared and and having some sort of way to defend yourself with mace, uh, a big stick, (laughs) uh, the appropriate firearm, um, you know, and and knowing how, and again, responsibility that comes with those things. Right. Um, I think jujitsu is is certainly a great place to start. Brazilian style jujitsu was designed for the smaller opponent. Right. Helio Gracie was a smaller man. He was competing against guys who were much bigger than him and that's where Brazilian style jiu-jitsu was born yeah. out of that guy who was continually being taken down and having to operate from the bottom from a position that most people see as a disadvantage yeah. and finding ways to get your large muscle groups your legs into the fight uh and, and make them effective and and render your opponent unconscious and change positions, all those things come through that Brazilian. So I think that it's a great style for women. My daughter did that from the time she was 14. Uh, you know, Obviously, yeah. women's fighting has become very, very popular. Right. Uh, so finding a Brazilian jiu-jitsu school is not hard. There's one in just about oh. every city out there now. So, uh, And I think that's a great place to start. I think it's silly to, to assume that you're going to be able to strike or throw a punch mm. or throw a kick to somebody who's trying to attack you that it's going to be very difficult sure. as the smaller opponent now start with jiu and, and develop some basic skills there to protect yourself especially on the bottom and then you can learn to punch and kick and be effective i mean we've seen some some female fighters that the you know guys pick the wrong chick to, to mess yeah. with and right. got their butts handed to them so yeah, yeah, it yeah. can be very effective but you got to have some place to start and i think bjj Brazilian Jiu Jitsu is the
0: yeah. place. You mentioned Jiu Jitsu and even you know in the early days like you know, UFC one, that was basically the that was the, the game changer, wasn't it? I mean, you see those early clips, you know, of, of of Gracie, you know, taking just basically, you know, taking guys down and they just you know, you had strikers, um, what was the guy's name? Art with the one glove, the one yeah. boxing glove.
1: <laughs> Art Art it's, was a very a very high level boxer.
0: Right, and he had no chance because it was just flat out take him to the ground, and you got no chance,
1: right? Yeah, that's exactly yeah. right. Uh, that's a perfect example of why Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu is a yeah. great place to start. And certainly, I would say wrestling if you're interested in wrestling. That that was my background. Yeah. that's a full metal sport for women now, and you know national and and collegiate programs across the country now. I think 33 national wrestling programs in at the collegiate level for women now. Uh, there are several states that are opening women's individual state championships for wrestling. So wrestling certainly great. But again, I think Brazilian jiu-jitsu is designed for that person that's not big, not as big as their opponent. And Hoist Gracie, in many ways, him and his family revolutionized martial arts and our view of what effective martial arts is.
0: Right. I'm jumping ahead here because I, I want to talk about your early days in the UFC. But is that with jiu-jitsu, did you look at, when you wanted to break into mixed martial arts, did you look at that and say, okay, I've got a wrestling background. I know how to grapple. I know how to fight on the ground. But, man, i I'm got to pick up my game here with the jiu-jitsu because that's really the base of what how guys are winning.
1: Absolutely. Uh, that's the first thing I picked up and, and started trying to train in. As a wrestler, I was not used to being on my back. I uh, uh, was not used to, to have a, a little bit different kind of path of least resistance mentality, right. if you will. Where wrestling is, you know, no, I'm going to make a, a door here. I'm going to I'm going to make something happen. It's a lot yeah. more aggressive attitude in wrestling uh, than in jiu-jitsu. But it was one of the first things I knew I had to learn. I saw guys like Hoist choking guys out, catching them in triangles, catching them in arm bars yeah. from their back. And that's a place I was not used to being or, or experiencing. So absolutely spent 14 years training in that and eventually got a black belt in, in Brazilian jiu-jitsu myself. So... Uh,
0: definitely some place to go yeah and now going back to you know we're talking about you know with kids and you know i initially thought that you got into wrestling you know because you got your ass kicked a little bit got bullied whatever like a lot of kids get into, into any kind of combat sport you know whether it be karate for a 10 year old or whatever yeah but but for you i mean and this is something that you've spoken about the the coach you had in high school and you probably remember this because I always feel like there's moments or people you run into change, you know, obviously the whole course of your life. He mm-hmm. felt he filled that void for you because your dad wasn't around. Right. And he was that figure that came in and, and helped you out and and just kind of gave you some sort of guidance.
1: That's true. Uh, coach K. Spear was my junior high school coach. Coach McAvoy was my high school coach. And, and those guys filled that void. They're the ones that gave me a kick in the ass when I needed a kick in the yeah. ass. They're also the ones that threw their arm around me and said, "Hey, it's not that bad. You're going to be all right." Right. When I needed that, because uh, yeah. my my dad was never around.
0: Yeah, yeah. And I always, you know, I think of this, and I, you know, I was preparing to, to sit down and talk to you, but yeah, you know, there's there's always that thing. I, I sort of battled with this because you know I got a chance to play in the big leagues around the time you and I met uh, in L.A. I was training. I was doing. You, you had the, the MMA athletics for for athletes, you know, for yep. baseball players, football players, and it was around that time where I really started to struggle in my career. And I always think back, and I was looking at you know your story. You had adversity, and you had yes, you know, or or you know some kind of trauma that you dealt with, and even later on, even in your twenties. And I always thought back as like, did I have enough? Because when you look at these elite athletes or extremely successful people, you always look at it and say you know, you had, you have to have something like that go on in your life to have success. I know it's not always that way, but I'm trying to, you know, I'm I'm working with kids now who are are trying to get to play professional baseball at college level. And there's always got to be that, that, that driving factor. You know what I mean? Do you, do you agree with that?
1: I mean, I think I, I do agree with that in some ways. I, I, you know, I think, I don't think having some sort of abuse or, or adversity that you had to face, is a prerequisite to success, yeah. but I think those things make us tougher, better humans. And I look at my my nephew, you know, who was a, a very good ball player and a state champ in the state of Washington. Mm. His senior yeah. year, he, you know, he grew up with hemophilia. Right. He, he had to learn by the time he was five to give himself after eight injections. And I mean, what five-year-old? No, you know,
0: yeah, that yeah. Kind
1: of adversity made him very, very mentally tough. Yeah. And 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 I think led to him being as good a ball player as he was. Now he was also very smart. He decided to go on and work in the financial world instead mm-hmm. of going on and trying to pursue pro ball. But uh, you know, I, I still see kids like that who have to overcome yeah. adversity like that. They they have yeah. they're more resilient. They they're they're going to take a shot or, or take a setback or something like that a lot a lot more in stride than the kid that's had stuff handed to him yeah. the whole I'll way down the tough. road.
0: Yeah, I mean, and that, that's kind of my point, too. I mean, I, and I see it, you know, from a, whether they're teenagers or even, you know, and again, I got to a point in my career, I was like, man, have I gone through enough here to really respect and appreciate how hard this is and, and to, you know, to start pushing myself even more, even later on in my career, you know, because I, I was at a point, too, you know, 2010, I, I scuffled, man. It was a terrible year. Um, I think what the program that you and, and Jay Glazer at the time had, it just more of the mental thing. I wasn't. There was no baseball involved. It was just me in the gym, figuring out yeah. what that one percent of the population's ever endured. You know, inside like the stuff yeah. you've done, and it just it just switched me on. It just it just helped me to get to say, okay, I'm manufacturing some of this adversity to try and push myself to that next level. You know what I mean? So, yeah. you know, it, it's it's and I think too, and you know, looking through your your career as well, you got to a point where you basically you dropped out of school you just had a newborn and you were basically, mm-hmm. you know, I mean, if you can go back to right before the army were basically giving, you know, a $5,000 signing yeah. bonus. Right. And that was basically your thing. You're like, okay, like not out of, you know, you didn't have any other option. Really. You're looking at this guy. Okay, man, I'll do it because yeah. at that point your, your wrestling career, MMA career, anything was just basically stone cold. Right.
1: Yeah. It was toast. Yeah. There was no way I was going to afford to stay in college or or, or go to college with a new family on the way. And the only way I could support that family, and I think largely because of the adversity I faced not having a dad around, I wasn't going to be that guy. I was going to be in this kid's life from start to finish and uh, was not going to be like my dad. So uh, the Army was a viable way for me to support that new family. My daughter was born while we were stationed in Germany two years later. Uh, and, and lo and behold, things worked out. I ended up in Germany. I ended up wrestling again and, and getting a shot to represent the army wrestling and off and running and back in the Olympic race and trying to make the Olympic team and all that, which I all, I thought all of that was gone. Uh, yeah. and, and those were the right decisions to make. Fate had a different plan for me. I ended up where I needed to be to continue on the road I was on.
0: Right. So going back to that point and, um, you know, you got back, you, you're in the army, you're part of the army wrestling team and got back into a situation where you could wrestle again. Was the, the end game for you, the, you know, the light, at the end of the tunnel, you mentioned the Olympics. Was that, was that just the, the straight, I'm going to go be an Olympian. Was that yes. it for you? Was there any other, you know, career aspirations at that point?
1: No, I, I, you know, I think originally when I thought wrestling was done and, and was joining the army, I wanted to fly. I wanted to be a pilot. Right. And okay. so that's one of the reasons why the military service and especially the army was so appealing and they were going to give me a, a $5,000 bonus to, to qualify as an air traffic controller, which was in aviation, yeah. which was one step closer to being a pilot right. uh, and then wrestling took off again, all of those ideas and, and kind of dreams, Took a backseat to to going back out and trying to make that Olympic team, and ultimately in '88 I was an alternate uh, as a soldier uh, at that time. So. Because
0: yeah, I mean, you '88, know, '92, around that time, you know, wrestling—that's not you're gonna you're not gonna make a career out of that in, in in the sense of it's not gonna support your family. You know, if you're like a, you know, I went to the Olympics in you know 2004 and I was around a bunch of athletes that. Yeah, you know, they have to have a second job. I mean, they're trying to they're trying to compete at the highest level, especially wrestling. I mean, and and I'll admit this, and you know, I played baseball at the Olympics, but is that the pinnacle? It, it was I, the Olympics was one of my favorite memories of all time. It was amazing. Sure. And coming from Australia, if you're an Olympian, that's that's the trump card. Everyone's like, oh my god, you're an Olympian. Doesn't matter what you did, right? Yeah. As a, I mean, they look at that even over, Olympic
1: Olympian in ballroom dancing for crying out loud. Ex- it's yeah, exactly. Impressive.
0: Exactly, but I think with wrestling that, with that sport, it's such a, it's so competitive, such a pinnacle. But on the flip side of that, I mean, you're talking, you're in your late twenties, you've just gone through, you've been in the army, you're in your late twenties. That's kind of at that point now. You're like, okay, where am I going in life? You in, in a sense, it's not like you're a young eighteen-year-old and you're living at home and you go, oh, I'll just pursue wrestling and see what happens after that. And you know what I mean. So it, it's 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 crazy when when you think about that. I mean, because at that point, when you were 88, 92, the, the UFC or mixed martial arts, was that even in your, in your mind at all?
1: No, <laughs> it was not on the radar whatsoever. I, I didn't get introduced to the sport. And that was via via a, a video uh, until 96. And the sport started uh-huh. in the US in 93. Um, and my first fight was in, in spring of 97. Uh, that it was not something I set out to do it was not. It was just one of those things that uh, the door opened. I was coaching wrestling. That's how I was going to make a living, uh, yeah. and support the family. Right. We're still chasing the Olympic dream, but also doing that by, by being the assistant wrestling coach at Oregon state, right. which was not a great paying job, but it was still a job with great benefits. And, and I was still on a wrestling mat every single yeah. day. So right. it was, it was killing two birds with the, with that one stone. Yeah. Uh, and then fighting came along. Um, uh, and that was a big decision. That was the two, probably the two biggest decisions in my life was the first one was the decision to get out of the Army. Mm-hmm. I had two kids by then. I was supporting my family, still chasing that Olympic dream. And it was a big decision for me to get out of the Army and take that su- support and security away and go wrestle for four years at Oklahoma State and get my degree. Yeah. That was a huge decision. And then, yeah. The other was to leave my coaching job and pursue fighting full time, hundred percent. And and you know the head coach at the time kind of pushed me. He, he he kicked me in the butt and said, "Hey, you're gonna be one or the other. You can't be both." And and, and I was kind of upset that he made me do that at the time. Yeah. But um, realized he was right. I would have I would have tried to juggle both of those things, and, yeah. and one or both of them would have suffered.
0: So so you're saying he pushed you not because he wanted you to stick around and coach. He wasn't like, oh, what are you doing? This is stupid pursuing this. Stay here and coach. You're saying. It,
1: it wasn't so much that he thought it was stupid. He thought it was bad for wrestling. He thought it was bad for the sport of wrestling. Gotcha. Even though there were other wrestlers that wrestled Olympic at the Olympic level that were doing it and getting paid very well, um, he thought it was a, a kind of a black eye for wrestling. And so he just didn't appreciate the sport. Gotcha. Uh, I felt differently. I thought it was a great venue for the wrestling to show what wrestling mm. was all about and what it was capable of. And, and in some ways, in my opinion, the sport of MMA elevated wrestling to a martial arts status that it didn't have before.
0: Gotcha. Yeah. Okay. That's, so we disagreed
1: on that. At the end of the day, he's the boss. He's the head yeah. coach. I'm the assistant yeah. coach. Right. I had to make a decision.
0: Yeah. So, I mean, even and back then, too, obviously, public, publicly, the UFC isn't what it was now or, or you know, not even close, because, you know, you mentioned your first fight, I mean, pretty much the year before that, John McCain came out and called it cockfighting, and wanted to ban yeah. it across the U.S. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. so, you must be going into this thing, and, oh, well, okay, like, it's kind of like, you know, doing something which no one approves of, you, you walk around <laughs> the streets, or, or your, your family saying, oh, hey, by the way, I want to be an MMA fighter, like, you're out of your mind, right? Yeah,
1: yeah, no, it was a little, that was, again, another layer of, of you know kind of being scared to make that commitment and make that yeah. decision there's no guarantee you're going to win and stay in the sport and then yeah you know there was a big backlash politically uh, McCain and others and, and thank God they did that because that forced us to run towards regulation gotcha. in order to stay viable and stay on you know on the books and keep yeah. putting <laughs> on events and uh, so you know and, and look where the sport has come because of that oh yeah those changes were made and, and the rules that are in place and and all the things that we've done have come because of that scrutiny, because they kind of pushed us to regulate, to, to be considered a bona fide real sport. And, and I think we've come a long way because of that.
0: So it wasn't a situation where they're like, hey, just just ban it, just flatten this thing. It was more of, hey, look, we are supporting you. Just regulate it.
1: Uh they were trying to ban it. They were trying yeah. very hard. And and let's let's be honest, Senator McCain had very strong ties through Anahuazer Bush to boxing. And this sport right. was doing great numbers in pay-per-view. So right. they felt a little threatened by the potential of this new pay-per-view sport that was coming online. So that was the his motivation for speaking out against the sport. It wasn't that he was that worried about my health and well-being. Yeah. <laughs> it was more <laughs> that You know, he he knew where his bread was buttered. And uh, I think I'll be the first to admit that old version of the sport where there were very few rules and there weren't weight classes and it was hard to score and there were limited, you know, the time limits were upwards of 20-plus minutes uh, in 16-man tournaments where you're fighting three times in a night. It's a lot to ask of any athlete. Yeah, And, And so I think running towards regulation was the right thing both for the athletes that are involved and for the longevity of a bona fide sport.
0: So, okay, when you're walking into, especially those early days where they didn't have the regulation, the rules were (laughs) slim. Now, I'm talking from the 99% of the population here, not like you. Obviously, you're different, but me and every other dude who sits on the couch and watches UFCs, I'll do this, I'll do that, have no idea because they've never done it. There had to be that element of fear where you're walking in to you know, I, I even know even if they had octagons back then, if it was octagons they or what did, it was, it, they did. <laughs> they did. There had to be that that you walking in, not having a clue about your opponent or how they're prepared or what they're going to do, because back then the injuries that were possible, and it's still the same now, obviously. But back then, nothing's regulated, right? So you, you might be walking in an absolute life-altering injury. So there had to be some sort of fear factor, especially in the early days, right?
1: Well, I think one of the things that makes fighters really good at what they do is that they don't think like that. Right. <laughs> they have a, a, an air of, of invincibility, if you will. Oh, it's yeah. never going to happen to me. Right. And that's, that's what makes us good at what we do. Because yeah. what we do, I mean, there's a lot of other sports out there, too. The, yeah. the, the same thing. Look at some of these bicyclists and motorcycle oh, riders, yeah. And yeah, skateboarders, and some of the crazy stuff that they're doing. And they know inherently there's a risk they're going to get injured. Yeah. They're the same, I knew that walking in, but it didn't matter. I had a passion for this. Is what I love to do. I wasn't going to, you know, football's the same way. Guys are. That's a car wreck every right. Sunday. Right. Guys know yeah. the risks, especially now with CTE and everything else that we've learned. Yeah. You know, that's opened up through through science and athletics. So yes, I, inherently we all know that small risk and we deal with that fear, that little bit of anxiety. But guess what? Anybody that says they don't have that anxiety is a sociopath. They're yeah. not they're <laughs> not telling you the truth. Oh, I'm you know, glad I'm you glad you can that. That's that. what yeah. motivates you to do the work. Yeah. To make right. sure you're prepared. There's still no guarantee. Yeah, but you've right. at least prepared your body the best way you know how to go out yeah. there and be effective.
0: Yeah, see, I'm coming from a background that I can suck. And I've had plenty of times where it's been a freeze moment or, you know, avoiding a pitch because I don't want to get, you know, but I'm just saying your sport, if you have that freeze moment, you're you're looking at life-threatening injuries, you know what I mean? That's that's yeah. kind of the difference, you know? So that's kind of the, the, the point I was making with that. It's just, man, because you just watch some of those clips of the early days, even, you know even when um you know when Gracie was just just kept choking choking because choking, he wanted to make yeah. sure the the referee could see it. it's like the dude's about to pass out he's seconds away from passing out you know yeah. but i it's just it's funny because again i'm i'm in that that new population of people who you know watch the UFC i'm a fan of it um it's a bl- it's it's a blast to watch and you always you know i'm a dude so i always try and put myself and i've had i've done some of the training where I'm not getting hit back. I've, the, all the training I did was awesome, <laughs> but it got to a point where I, I, I wasn't getting hit back. I was like, oh, I wonder what that feels like. And there was just there was a couple times there in, in the gym that I was working out in LA where I'd just get slammed on the floor or I'd take a punch or something like that. I'm like, whoa, okay, that's like a small little fraction of what of of what these guys endure. So I, I had I had to ask, man, there had to be some sort of fear, or anxiety, at least as you put it.
1: Yeah, no, it's there. Absolutely there, and that's the motivation, the, the gas on the fire, if you will, to, yeah. to do the work, right. be as diligent and as prepared and as big a student at the game as you can be. Study, look at tape, nutrition, sports yeah. psychology, physical physical fitness, all those things all roll up into that athlete that walks those four steps up into that cage.
0: Yeah, a lot of people, when they talk about you as a fighter, they talk about no one will out-prepare you as a fighter le- leading into a fight. And the one thing, and and this is something when you watch, you know, you, you watch they have those small clips of, you know, that they they document someone's training camp. You know, they're they're, they're mm-hmm. you know, three months or so of, of getting ready for whatever it is, three to uh, however long it is.
1: Oh, weeks is pretty standard, yeah. Right, 10, okay. 20.
0: Yeah, and and even that too. I'm thinking of this. I'm thinking from, and, and this is something I want to ask you. You have no idea that you don't have spies or anything in their camps. You really have no idea how they're preparing, what they're doing. To prepare for this fight, do you ever feel like was it was there ever that you know that that thought of not feeling prepared going into a fight for you or, or not or not quite sure about what what you're going to see or so, or well, something even in the first round something something taking you by surprise.
1: Yeah, I think that happens certainly, and in the uh, the beauty, you know, and certainly that you talked about that first night, those first fights. I, I fought twice that first night. I had never seen either one of those guys before. I I had never got to watch any footage or or videotape of their previous fights. It just didn't exist. It wasn't. Uh, But I came from that Olympic wrestling background. where we scouted a lot. We did a lot, you know, took a lot of notes, watched a lot of video, both collegiate and Olympic wrestling. That was something we did on a regular basis. So as soon as there was footage available, I was watching that. I wanted to see his oldest fight to his newest fight. How has he progressed? where did he win? where did he lose? where did he like to be? Where did he seem not to like to be all those things? And then having a team of coaches to help me sharpen the appropriate tools. Yeah. Not blow sunshine up my hind end. Right. Say, oh, don't worry about it. You got this yeah. guy. Be realistic about how my style and my strengths and weaknesses match up with his and then come out with the best ways to put him in the worst place he can be yeah. and the best place for me to win that fight. There is no guarantee. when you get it right, it's an amazing thing. Right. And when you screw it up, it's a rough night.
0: Yeah. yeah. you
1: will getting stitches and you're probably, you know, you, you, there are other things going on. So yeah. At the end of the day, the people that matter are still there that next day. They don't care right. whether you want, lost. Yeah. And that should free you up to go out and put it on the line and do exactly what you're trained to do. That's the delicate balance uh, of the whole thing. And, Especially in a precarious individual combative sport like fighting.
0: right? Did you ever have a situation? I know you had yeah you know, you're you're in Oregon, you had a re- you had a gym, a really good crew of people in in, in your early days, UFC, uh, and they're probably stuck around you know throughout your career. W- what was the toughest element or style of fighting that that you really had to sharpen that you weren't you felt like obviously at your level, you're going to have a pretty good grasp over everything. But was there ever that element? You're like, man, I need to avoid this for this this fight because I just don't feel like this is as good as these other things.
1: Well, I think the thing for me was was fight facing another wrestler. It was, right. Was a tough a tough fight because that yeah. was the background that I I relied on heavily to to put me in those positions to win. Yeah. You know, training with Matt Lindland and Dan Henderson, two both you know Olympians, Jaelson, and uh, you know. We had a slew of, of very, very good. Jeff Munson, Benji yeah. Raddick, Chris Lieben, Ed Herman, all guys with good wrestling backgrounds, solid. And, and some of them, obviously, the top of the heap was Dan and Matt. They were both Olympians. Yeah. Uh, so anytime you were training with those guys, you, you couldn't get away with some of the stuff Yeah. from my wrestling background that worked. When I fought Edelman, you know, a, a national champ, pro state, great wrestler, took me down. First and second round, I spent the rounds on my back. Thank God I had done that diligence and spent time there in practice, learning jiu-jitsu, learning how to use my legs, learning how to protect myself and stay out of trouble. And then in the third round, I took him down. Right, boy... He had not spent any time there. He, yeah. he Basically, did the die- cockroach? The legs and the arms went straight up in the air, and, <laughs> and and I was in, you know, found my way to position where he wasn't going to get out. He wasn't was he was done. So, and he was an amazing athlete, an amazing guy, but that was the difference in that match. Early on, he won the first two rounds clearly. Right. Out wrestled, and and so I felt like any time I was matched up against another wrestler, it was going to be a tougher night. Uh, gotcha. To find, get creative and find ways to to. To get
0: where I needed to be, and I want to ask you this too. I was watching watching a clip, Brock Lesnar. That's a big fight. You've got an, you've got an after party mm-hmm. after that. You know the UFC. It's you know it's it's a, it's a glamorous sport at this stage. There's going to be you know after the celebrities at the after party, the whole thing. You get knocked out. You get pounded on the ground. When you watch the footage, it's pretty brutal. What happens the moments after that fight? What happens after after you get hit like that and knocked out?
1: Yeah. Well. I mean, protocol is for, for any time you get knocked out. And in that particular, it wasn't a complete knockout. I mean, he, he hit me hard and, and knocked me down, but I didn't go, go out. Unlike, I mean, the only time I really got knocked out was the, the first, the uh, the second Chuck Liddell fight. He drilled me, and I lost that little piece of time. I was second, the next second, I have a bunch of people looking at me, and I'm like, what the hell happened? I had no idea what happened. In the Lesnar fight, he caught me right behind the ear with a, with a right hand. I went down. As soon as my butt hit the hit the canvas, I was awake. I just right. couldn't get out from underneath right. that big yeah. bitch. So, uh, you know, he hammer-fisted me until the referee stopped the fight. And uh, protocol is to go right right away and get a CT scan. Make sure you don't have a bleed or something else going on, which we've seen. Obviously, a lot more prevalent in in a lot more prevalent in in boxing uh, yeah. than it is in MMA. Um, but I, you know, was disappointed. In all I had I wanted him, and and was on my way to being successful in that fight, and he just caught me with a good one. He's a yeah. lot longer than you realize. He is. He looks <laughs> so big and thick that, that you don't realize he's got the reach he has. So, right. Um, uh, you know, but that you know, again. The Chuck Liddell fight was a lot worse knockout. Uh, that was a real bona fide knockout. Yeah. Where, and he flashed me in the third flight. Chuck did, but yeah. again, as soon as I touched the ground with my butt, I was right back awake. I wasn't out conscious, gotcha. unconscious, calm.
0: Right, from. gotcha. So and 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 so after the, so you go to the hospital, and then yeah, you know, there's still an after party set up. I'm sure. I
1: caught up, with my buddy. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I was definitely ready for a barley pop.
0: Yeah. <laughs> So even so, you know, in a situation where you just want to sit in a room, and stay away from people, you're like, you know what? Hey, look, I worked my ass off for this. I'm still going to go out and, and be around my yeah. friends. Yeah. OK, gotcha.
1: Absolutely. Because my friends and my family are all there. First of all, they want to know I'm OK. So going back to the after party was important for everybody's peace of mind. Yeah. And, and yeah. you know, I know those folks are going to be there whether I won or lost or they would have been yeah. a lot happier had I won. But I was still there and I was still fine talking, coherent, everything was good. Uh, so, you know, certainly my mom is a lot more at ease. Uh, everybody else is is fine. And, and, you know, those are the people that matter.
0: Yeah, and I think, too, I want to – and this is something that, you know, the extreme highs and lows of an you know, MMA career at your level, right? You have this this buildup. You mentioned the 12 weeks leading in, then the complete adrenaline rush. The weeks after that, do you ever – you know, get in these places where you feel like you need that right away. You need some sort of, you know, adrenaline uh, or, or anything yeah, right away.
1: There, there, there is. there. There's almost a, a, a letdown, a state of depression, if you will. Whether you lost, too, it doesn't matter. Sometimes it's a little darker if you lost because you lost your mistakes and where you went wrong. But you can't win. Letdown. Like, you're hurt somehow. There anymore, you know, you've been so immensely uh, involved in this process to get night, and then it's over, and it's like, now what? Yeah, yeah, weird thing, but uh, yeah, you definitely right back in the gym, right back to training. You right. got partners that, that helped you get ready that are probably getting ready for fights, so you get right back in with them and be a good partner and a good training. Training uh, advisor for them going into their next fight, and then you're learning yeah. new stuff. It keeps you keeps you on the straight and narrow,
0: right? And and and, and to that point, too, you mentioned other you know guys in, in the gym, younger fighters, you know, probably there's been a, a slew of guys you've mentored, you know, at, you know fighters who've gone into you know the UFC level or, or a lower level, you know. So it it, it must be, I, mean, I can't imagine how competitive. Especially once the UFC just went, you know, through the roof. I know in Australia it's so popular back there. Mm-hmm. Everyone feels mm-hmm. like they can be. Everyone feels like they can be a UFC fighter or MMA fighter because you know they, they hit a couple pads or whatever. What What do you think? What separates? What do you think the biggest separator was for you, as a fighter, to be the level you're at?
1: Um, I, I think ultimately you see tons of people that are talented. Honestly, wasn't the most physically gifted. Um, I, I may for that with work ethic. Um, you have to have the total package. You, yeah. At some point you're going to break into that top percentage of people. They're all physically talented. Now how are you going to distinguish yourself from all those other guys that have set the same exact goal that you have? And yeah. that's where the work ethic and being a student of the sport and having an open mind, being coachable, uh, you know, taking care of yourself—not just in the gym, but rest time and and your other times when you're not in the gym—are just as important. So, I think finding that whole package is a rare thing, and and that's the difference between guys like you that made it to the big leagues. <laughs> and the guys that didn't there were right. plenty of other guys that were as talented or maybe more talented than you but you were able to make it there you know i think that's the thing that distinguishes us yeah uh, that we were willing to be diligent to put our butts on the line risk failing some yeah. guys it's too big an ego and it's not in them to, to risk failing they can't put themselves out there i mean that's a psychological thing but it lends itself to the physical performance
0: yeah, you, know, you make a good point, and and you know with baseball, I've seen so many guys triple-A, AA, who are just studs. You know, throwing 100 miles an hour, nasty changeup, whatever. You know, how the hell did that guy never sniff the big leagues? But I think yeah. you, you you made a good point is the the failing aspect. Some guys they get hit around. You get to the big leagues, you get hit around, you get hit hard, and you have to be able to say, hey, I'm good. That's one thing. Obviously, I struggled with. Did you have? When you know whether it's in your gym or or throughout your career, was there ever you know young fighters like man, this kid's going to be an absolute stud, but just never quite got over the line?
1: I saw guys that I that I trained with that that were absolute terrors. Yeah. On the practice mat, and then when it came to fight night, they had a little trouble unleashing that same fury and that same technique and tactic and conditioning that I knew they had. And what was the disconnect? The disconnect was right here. Right. Uh, you have to have, you have to recognize that you control that subconscious voice. That that in, internal dialogue is something yeah. that you control. And so many of us are subject to that. We we fall to that. We let that voice go on and on and on and undermine our confidence. And especially when the pressure's on, when, when the battle is coming or the competition is coming or it turns up, yeah. that, that little voice inside our head can say all kinds of crazy things. And if we don't, figure out who controls who we've got a serious problem Yeah, and and it's going to get in the way of of unleashing that physical and talent, that, that ability.
0: Do you take that into now that you're acting right and, and you're starting to get these roles and, and, you know, obviously you're done competing fighting. Do you take that same mentality, especially the, the, you know, that, that voice inside your head, that, that subconscious, do you take that into, into acting as well? Absolutely. Uh Yeah
1: into everything you got to go ask for a raise you you, you get into an argument with your wife I I mean if you let that that subconscious dialogue control you it'll say all kinds of stuff and then you'll end up in fights in places you never want it to be (laughs) so uh, learning that you control it giving it the positive affirmative things to say absolutely carries over into every other part of my life and I and I'll be honest. I wish I'd have figured it out earlier, figured it out sooner. Maybe I wouldn't have been divorced three damn times. (laughs) uh, I might have figured some of that out and been able to communicate better and and learn and and maybe been tougher earlier. Maybe had more success on the matter or other places earlier on.
0: Right. Do you I this is one thing I struggle with watching myself you know pitch watching footage of myself i just it's, mm-hmm. i just can't watch it like or i can't even hearing my voice sometimes you know with, with broadcasting or you know doing this did you did you ever have issues watching yourself footage of yourself or you were totally fine with that
1: yeah no, i never liked it I yeah right. like it. why is that i i don't know I, I think we're our own our own worst critics sometimes yeah. i think nobody is harder on us than we are on ourselves a lot and uh um, so I, I don't know. I, same thing with acting when right. it's finally all done and, and I get to go to premiere and that's a big to do and you get to sit down, but I still all find myself critiquing myself and, oh yeah. man, I could have done that better. I, you know, I just, I think we're just, we're our own worst enemies sometimes. And, and we have to learn to kind of sort that out and, and come to terms with that.
0: So you're not sitting there in that premiere of the Expendables, covering your face like this, because you got. <laughs> <laughs>
1: yeah, it wasn't quite that bad, but internally, in absolutely. Yeah. I, I'm absolutely critiquing myself. And, For sure. Uh, the same thing is true in athletics. Watching fights, you know, and I never really watched the ones I won, because I got the I got the outcome that I wanted. I,
0: yeah, I right.
1: And then I'm sure there were still things to learn and still mistakes that were made, but I never really watched the ones I won. The ones I lost. Now those are the ones I studied. Those are the ones I watched the most. Yeah. But that's where I needed to make adjustments. That's. Right. And, and again, that comes into you know a whole motto at the gym is check your ego at the door. It's only going to get in the way. So leaving that ego outside, watch watch those and figure out what you could have done, which what, you, what you, where your mistake was. And sometimes it's simply as man, I just I got caught. I, I didn't do anything yeah. wrong really. I just got caught, and that can happen. Well, that's got to be
0: the most frustrating thing in your sport. You, it's just that one, yeah, you know, that that one punch the head where you get where you get caught like that. That's it. Three, you know, three months, whatever, whatever the preparation is for that huge fight, and that's it. Do you ever look back? <clears throat> speaking of watching yourself, <clears throat> Chuck Liddell, you beat him the first time, and then he beat you twice after. For example, yeah. Chuck Liddell, that's a big big profile fight. Do you ever look back and say, "Oh man, I wish, you know, I, I could have." Obviously, not done this or done that differently, but had a chance to to fight him again, or did, does that still play on your mind, or is is it water under a bridge now?
1: It's water under the bridge now for me. I feel like I, you know, I came to terms with those losses back then, and those losses were very important to me. I wouldn't change yeah. them because yeah. at the end of the day, they made me a better person. Right. I faced that adversity, I came back and fought again, and was successful and won again after those disappointments. And that, that in my mind is, is the true essence of being a champion. It's not about winning all the time. It's about how you pick your ass up and and get back and figure out how to win again.
0: I forgot to mention this story earlier. You and I, I had, I got a chance. We went out, had dinner. We hung out one night in LA and every dude from 25 to 45 years old wanted to come have a selfie. Right. And it was so funny because I remember this, you probably don't remember, but There was a a L.A. Lakers player who had a bit of a bad boy sort of, you know, um, know, image to him. Yeah, whatever, right? That was his identity. So you have all these dudes coming up and and they're all trying to, yeah, they're giving the fist and they're all trying to like kind of look tough in the photo, stick the chest out because they're standing with you, right? And yet you're you're so gracious with everyone. You're always, hey, how you doing? You know, like super friendly. (laughs) We go down the elevator to the parking lot. And there's this huge dude. I'm not gonna you know, mention any names, but big dude, NBA player, and um, he's uh, he's I don't know who it was. Maybe his agent or something. Because he oh, hey, Randy, this is you know so and so, and this dude was trying to do the whole tough guy act. And you're like, hey, buddy, how you doing? Look at that watch. That thing's huge. You know, it was it was so funny because he was <laughs> anti- <laughs> he was anticipating this. You know, like he felt like he had to you know stick his chest out around you because you know you're Randy uh-huh. Couture. You know what I'm saying? Do you ever have, any situations, I don't know if this happens all the time or it never happens, where people in public try and challenge you, they've had a few beers and they try and...
1: Uh, (laughs) Yeah. I'll get the offhanded comment. Usually it's, oh man, you don't look that big. I thought you'd be bigger. It's usually that sort of thing. And I'll I'll wisecrack back, you know, change your perspective. I'm sitting on your chest looking down at you. (laughs) And, And I'll laugh. And they're not even sure what I said, uh, uh, and I just I got nothing to prove. Um, I, I've never really had anybody seriously push it and, yeah. and try try to create a, a situation. Usually, it's off, you know, with a with a quip or a comment, and and we yeah. are or, we're laughing and, and having a good time. It's all good.
0: <laughs> Has there ever been that? that instinct to just be like, dude, I'm going to flatten you right now. Even after a comment or any of your buddies who are at that level, have they ever been in a situation like, dude, I'm going to, I'm going to lay you out right now.
1: <laughs> Not for me. Yeah. Uh, I'm sure there's <laughs> some of my peers that, that have been in that situation, but uh, I, I have never, never been in that situation. I am generally smiling and, and yeah. I can speak if I need to speak and can kind of talk my way out of things. It's nothing's yeah. worth, it, you know. There's no winners in those situations. That's the truth. There's no winners in those situations.
0: Is that something as a UFC fighter that you have to sign off to say that you cannot do anything in public or any of those kind of – or it's not even a thing? You just know. It's just an unwritten rule. You just don't – Yeah, it's
1: just just a given. I mean, the
0: same with
1: you or any other professional ball player. I mean, there's a certain code, a certain demeanor. You're you're not just representing yourself. You're representing that team, your folks, everything. Yeah. I think most of us want to do that in a very positive way. And, uh, you know, there's an occasional guy that, that doesn't feel that way and gets into trouble. I mean, yeah. you take a look at what John Jones has done, you know, in his career and yeah. he's, he's an amazing fighter and it's really unfortunate that he yeah. can't keep straight outside of the cage. And, you know, he's going into looking at probably a, a ban and another right. stripping of the title. And it's just a shame. It's a shame.
0: Yeah. Well, Randy, this has been fun, mate. I appreciate your time. I, know you, I know, Actually, I know you, you're not busy at the moment with this shutdown. <laughs> you're stuck inside. I'm so. quirky, just like you. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> well, I was actually – this is not how I envisioned this through Skype. I actually envision envisioned this two chairs set up, you know, the whole wow. film crew yeah. in the middle of that octagon at, at Extreme Couture. To shut the whole gym down so you can teach me some grappling. But <laughs> maybe next time I'd love to get down there and, and, you, and you can show me a thing or two because I've got no idea what I'm doing, especially on the ground. That's for sure.
1: Uh, well, it's great to see you again, and, and yeah. pleasure talking with you, and glad you're doing well. Um, you know, you, you're, you're, I think, still one of the only baseball players that we've gotten to work with. We've worked right. with a ton of football players, a few hockey players now, some lacrosse players, but I still think you're the only baseball player that we've worked with.
0: So yeah, I, I, I was addicted, i, I got to say. It got to a point where... I was months away from spring training and I had to start to make that transition to throw and get in, in, you know, in baseball shape. I didn't want to leave. I loved it. It, it was so much fun you know, in the gym. But again, I wasn't getting hit back. That's the difference, I think. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. so, anyway, but Randy, hey, mate, this has been fun. I appreciate your time and uh, all the best just dealing with this shutdown and hopefully we can stay healthy and, and get back outside.
1: Absolutely, man. Thanks. All the best awesome. to you, too. Appreciate it, buddy.
0: Thanks for tuning in to this episode of The Top Step. Now make sure you click that subscribe button down below or visit www.thetopstep.com so you don't miss any future episodes. Now coming up, I'll get a chance to sit down with comedian and actor, huge Mariners fan, Mr. Adam Ray, as well as super prospect of the Seattle Mariners and one of MLB's future superstars, Justin Dunn. I'll catch you on The Top Step very soon.